Hello. You're back. Thank you for holding down the fort in my absence. You're so welcome. Someone had to, literally. I enjoyed thinking about what my favourite vegetable was. And my favourite vegetable is the potato. You can't vote I know for I'm not allowed potato. to vote for the potato, but it is the potato. Okay. It's a protest vote. It's like a blank ballot on election day. Well, you're not alone with the patat. Will got in touch to say potato's his favourite as well. So sorry. Once again, can't vote for it. Yeah, boy, Will. Uh, we got a lovely array of veggies. We did. Jack, green beans. Olivia, corn. Sinead, capsicum. Ollie said broccoli in caps lock. Big broccoli fan. So Ollie loves broccoli. Uh-huh. Uh, Anna said tomato. I'm not a fan of the old tomato. What? Did I know that about you? I don't know. I love a cherry tom. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Obviously, yeah, we'll eat like a tomato-based thing, but like a slice of tomato. Like I will opt to have them taken out of okay. my burger fuel burger when I order. Uh, Maisie said leek. Yeah, big fan of leek. Great veggie. I like leeks. Big fan of leek. Leek and potato soup. Big leek gal. The other thing that we have to say before we get on to the show, uh, I'm going to leave this one to Imogen. Up the wires! Kia ora, this is Newsable, I'm Emil. And I'm Imogen, and this is what's worth talking about. A group of senior GPs say the system's under immense pressure and something urgent needs to be done before the sector collapses. Also, week two of the election campaign is done and dusted. We've got a quick refresher of the week that was in the world of politics. We're talking aliens and Congress yet again, but this time it was Mexico's lawmakers hearing claims we are not alone in this universe. And it's as inevitable as death and taxes, but it's a whole lot more fun. <laughs> it is fun fact fun. We've got all that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. A group of senior GPs have just released a plea for something to be done to fix the failing local doctors' system. In an opinion piece in the New Zealand Medical Journal, they point to dropping numbers of GPs in the health workforce and to too few young doctors choosing to specialise in general practice. The end result, they say, is an ageing, diminishing and dispirited group of doctors that can't deliver the expected services, especially for Māori and Pacifica communities. One of the doctors sharing his thoughts is Professor Les Toop. Les is the former head of the Department of General Practice at Otago University in Christchurch and a part-time GP, and he joins us now. Les, kia ora. Kia ora. How bad is the state of our GP service, to your mind? Very bad. To be honest, uh, probably the worst it's been in my 40 years um, of working in the health system. And why is that? Is it because we don't have any doctors? It's been said that if general practice fails, the health system fails. It's a key part of the health system. The problem that, that the whole health system, including general practice, faces is essentially um, ignoring the demographics over the last 15, 20 years. We've relied um, heavily on immigration over the last 50 years and um, really... COVID unpicked the scab and showed just how reliant we were on that. The other thing is that general practice is very, um, it's the kind of last port of call. You've heard it so many times, oh, if something so happens, go and see your doctor. Mm. And so we tend to have to pick up a shortfall when the hospital sector can't deliver something. And so they're as in trouble as we are in a sense. Um, But what it means is a lot of care, administrative stuff that was done in secondary care has moved into primary care and that puts additional strain. The bureaucracy has increased enormously on an older workforce. Liz, you have described the system as 
really not fit for purpose, modelled on a time when health needs were different. So in your mind, what change is needed? The funding formula for general practice is based on a, a capitation model that was designed in about 2001 with some pretty back of an envelope sort of guesses, really. But for the last 15 years, it has not uh, been fit for purpose. It doesn't target funding to where the need is greatest, and so that, that which is an equity issue. So, so what happens is that uh, it's a set amount of money uh, that you get per year for a patient. And if you're seeing them more often with more complex things that take m- more time, then the bit that you get from the government sort of gets divided by multiple times. And also the ability for, for patients to pay is clearly, you know, in times like now is, is, is very limited. Mm. In the article, we talked about the perfect storm. There's a whole confluence of factors that have left uh, the workforce treading water and going down for the third time. So when you have the things I've just mm. described, what happens is that you've got a mm. workforce who will retire certainly at retirement age or possibly even below, like in England, many doctors retire in their late 50s. We've traditionally in general practice had GPs retire in their 70s. That's not happening anymore. And and so the age at which people say that's enough is getting lower and lower. And even more worrying, you've got people in mid-career who are finding it so stressful that they think there must be something better to do, either go somewhere else or do something else. If I had one wish... It is that the politicians would stop using health as a party political football and that they would get together like they did in, with superannuation and they should with education and with health and have some long-term planning. Liz, what you've just described sounds to me like a sector on the brink of collapse. Am I being dramatic here or is that collapse coming? If we carry on the current trajectory, yeah, I think probably that's not, that's not an overstatement. I mean, you could be Pollyanna-ish around and say that there are some good things, and there are some good things in theory, but it, it becomes a sort of tipping point where it's so unpleasant to work that even if the people who are working there are not going to work with anything other than a sort of pit in their stomach that they're, you know, they're not looking forward to it. You need a motivated, enthusiastic workforce is what you need. Please, too, lots of food for thought there. Really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. You're welcome. And I hope you get your Christmas wish. <laughs> It's that time of the week, Fun Fact Friday time. Make sure you are following us on Instagram to get your vote in. Just search up Newsable NZ and vote for Emil. Another week on the campaign trail, done and dusted. Quite an exciting one, really. It saw the government's books opened up. Christopher Luxon dressed up as a pirate. Chris Hipkins ate another pie. The man is 98% cholesterol at this stage. And uh, we had political polls from both NewSub and... TV One. So here to unpack the week that was is firm friend of Newsable, Stuff Political Reporter Glenn McConnell. Kia ora. An honour. Hello. <laughs> An honour to have you here. Uh, Monday night's News Hub poll, bad news for Labour. Wednesday night's TV One poll, not as bad for Labour, but still bad. Can Chris Hipkins and the Labour Party turn this around? Has time simply run out? Or is there still hope with those soft voters? Every poll now is a new low for the Labour Party. Mm. Uh, I've written that so many times, Mm. it's starting to feel meaningless. And it is getting hard for Labour. We're we're one month away. They have to get a lot of seats back to form a government. They're going to lose so many, about half of their MPs probably at this Mm. point, are out of a job. It is tough. But look at Chris Hipkins recently. He, He seems fine. He's either accepted this or he's just going along for the ride, seeing how this month turns out. The other big narrative of the week, 
Numbers. We all remember Nicola Willis asking Grant Robertson about his hole. Um, <laughs> but a group of independent economists have turned the tables to point out how big National's fiscal hole is in regards to its tax policy. This is all kind of dense. Can you give us the TLDR, the tilder? National's tax policy is is by far the biggest story of this election campaign, mm. and scrutiny is ramping up. Even though this is a few weeks old now, mm. National looks like it will very likely be in government at the end of this year. And I spoke to Nicola Willis this week. She said that by Christmas, she wants most of these savings to fund a $14.6 billion tax plan. This is huge money, and it relies on so many different parts to pull this off, which it would mean tax cuts for landlords, tax cuts for families, payments to families, and tax cuts actually for everyone who works. It's huge, and it's unclear at this stage how it will work because you have all these different economists and lawyers saying there are holes in it. National will come back and, and give you their own version of advice they have received. But it's so complicated that to pull this off by April or July – a lot will have to go right for National, and this is going to be a major issue for that party's credibility. We asked you this last week, we'll ask it again this week, and we will probably ask it next week, but any policies of note? Yeah, we're, we're focusing also on health. This has been ongoing for a while, and Labour leader Chris Hipkins was in Dunedin. He is promising 335 extra places to train doctors. Uh, that's not cheap. $1 billion over the next 10 years. Chris Luxon from the National Party was in Christchurch talking to farmers on Thursday. He wants to cut resource concerns and make it a bit easier to build water storage on farms. And Te Party Māori has a few policies this week as well. Mm. It wants to bring tikanga into the justice system and also fund marakai or community gardens. Now we've got the first leaders debate coming up next Tuesday night. It's on TV One. Chris versus Chris. Uh, it's like the Spider-Man meme. Live on national television. Now, here's what Chris Luxon had to say about it earlier on in the week. Yeah, Chris Hipkins is a 20-year career politician. He's a champion debater. He's probably the best debater in our parliament and probably in New Zealand. Uh, I haven't even done a debate uh, before, uh, so I, I lose a lot to my wife. Spoiler alert, he has actually done debates before, but do you have any early predictions on who will come out on top? And actually also, whether these debates, these set-piece debates, are, are that meaningful in this day and age? I think these debates are coming a bit too late. Mm. We're, we're a month in, so many people would have made up their minds, and, and these later debates are coming up. There's some on the last week, so advanced voting mm. would have happened. Do these really matter? Labour was betting a lot on these debates, because I think Luxon's right, that Chris Hipkins probably is a better debater. He's, he loves politics. He's done this for a while. And Christopher Luxon, often when he is under pressure, you'll see that he struggles to divert from the lines he's trying to you know, communicate. There's a few things he just keeps repeating on this campaign trail, and you can't do that on live TV. It works in stand-ups, but you know, people see through it when you're, you're on TV. Glenn McConnell, a pleasure, as always. Thank you for your time. Thank you. We're talking the weird thing that happened at Mexico's Congress next. But remember to chuck us a like and a follow on your favourite podcast platform if you're enjoying what you're hearing, because who doesn't love keeping up to date with the latest news and current affairs? We cannot go any further without addressing what went down in Mexico's Congress. Oh, I love this. This yarn. This is sort of similar to those UFO hearings in the US that we covered before on the show. Mm. Um, Mexican lawmakers heard testimony from a Mexican journalist and a longtime UFO enthusiast claiming that aliens exist. And he brought proof. He brought <laughs> receipts, Imogen. 
what was it? Well, it was two weird mummified bodies slash corpses uh, that had been found in Peru, which he and others, he's not alone in this, no. uh, considered non-human. These weird mummified things have, well, they've got elongated necks. Weird shaped heads, three fingers, very shriveled. They kind of just look like ET. They, they look um, like what a child <laughs> thinks an alien looks like, right? They're like someone's sculpted ET from memory. Um, the journalist says, says, doing a lot of heavy lifting, uh, they're around 100 years old, and that researchers found eggs inside of one of them. Now, it's also important to point out here that this very same journalist reported back in 2015 on a supposed alien body, also found in Peru, and that was later debunked. And it turned out this alien body was that of a human child. So read into that what you will. It took a sinister turn, didn't it? (laughs) Far around. (laughs) Now, the the director of the Scientific Institute for Health of the Mexican Navy, that's a tongue twister, (laughs) Uh, that director also testified to the Mexican Congress that X-rays and DNA analysis had been carried out on these two sets of remains and said, quote, I can affirm that these bodies have no relation to human beings. But there's always going to be a but in this, in this story. <laughs> no, big but. Uh, other researchers are calling fraud. The scepticism has come in thick and fast, with one researcher saying many of the details here, quote, make no sense and that you'd need far more advanced technology to actually determine whether or not these are human remains. Yeah. But even so, this whole saga has given us these pictures. And I very oh, yeah. much <laughs> strongly encourage you, if you haven't already, to go and seek these out uh, because they, they are something else. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, what, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. That, that, I think it would be a resignation offence. If I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Nothing iffy in there. On. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts. And here we are again. Here we are again. It always rolls around. This is, if anything else, you can always count on Fun Fat Friday. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. It's like a friend. It rolls back in like the waves. It's like a nice, steady, constant. Inexorably. We are tied. It's 13 all. Mm. Stakes are always high, but, you know, when it's a tie, it feels a little bit more nerve-wracking. I think I've got a banger and a half this week. Let me read you, dear listeners, the transcript of mine and Imogen's <laughs> Slack chat today. Uh, quarter past 12. My fun fact, send, is send, so good, send, that's all I'm going to say. Now, that is what we call here at Musable psychological warfare. Yeah, you didn't reply, and that was your psychological warfare. Yeah, the silent treatment. All right, so you go first then. Okay. You, Imogen Wells, are familiar with Kentucky Fried Chicken. See. Worldwide brand. 11 herbs and spices. Uh, yes, that's right. Um, it's in at least 147 countries around the world. Uh, but Kentucky Fried Chicken, obviously better known to many people as... KFC. That's right. Those three letters, KFC. They are like the letters version of the Golden Arches. They are the same everywhere in the world, except they are not. Not in Quebec. In Quebec, you can order a 40-piece bucket of the Colonel's original recipe chicken, but you do not order it from a KFC. You order it from a PFK. (laughs) (laughs) 
is this because they speak French or something? I'm assuming. Great question, Imogen. What is a PFK? <laughs> Let's pretend that you asked me that. Let's pretend that you asked Sorry, me what is a PFK. Don't... Well, a PFK. <laughs> A PFK, I'm trying to show my smarts. It's a, it's a KFC, but it is, as you suggest, in French. It stands for Poulet Frit Kentucky. I love this. Yeah, and it's called this because Quebec is, of course, um, it's like French Canada. And it really zealously guards mm. its Frenchness. And back in 1977, Quebec passed this law to enforce French as the dominant language of the region. And that law said that all businesses have to have French names. The menus have to be in French. The employees have to speak to customers in French and all that jazz. The law was actually lifted back in 2012 after a lawsuit. So KFC could rebrand as KFC in Quebec. But why would you? Why cool. Would you? I love that. It's PFK. There you go. So, I really love Poulet that. Poulet Kentucky. Okay, Martin. Okay. Fun fact. Instant coffee was invented in Invercargill. What? Yeah. By whom? <laughs> a man called David Strang. He filed for the patent for his soluble coffee powder uh-huh. back in 1889. And for years. 1889? Yeah, for decades even. The invention of instant coffee had been credited to a Japanese chemist uh, oh. who allegedly had created it in 1901. But nay, it was D-Strang. Oh, he beat him it to was the punch D by over 10 years. D-Strang from Strang's Coffee down in Invercargill. <laughs> How good. It's so, uh, <laughs> Shall we call it for a day? We've left probably, two bangers on the table. Of course, as always, it's up to you to decide. Head to our Instagram, usable NZ. Vote for your favourite instant coffee invention versus KFC, but PFK in Quebec. That's usable for today, though. I'm Imogen Wells. And I'm Emil Donovan. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Newsable. News that's worth talking about. If you liked it and reckon it's also worth supporting, please make a contribution at stuff.co.nz support. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts.